people the new year is here 2021 man it's like a breath of fresh air coming in 2020 is behind us and kicking it off with me which is i'm just i'm very excited folks my guest nelson tressler nelson how are you sir how's life i'm doing well thanks for having me on man yeah I, i'm assuming the first couple of days of 2021 is better than most of 2020 Oh yeah, this is this is my favorite time of year, New Year's and you know, new start, you know, focusing on your goals. So, I'm in heaven right now. Nice. Well, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and then also where they can find you on social media, how they can engage, follow you, all that stuff. Yes, uh, Nelson Tressler, I'm the founder and CEO of I Got Smarter, which is a goal fulfillment app that uh, helps people finally uh, achieve their life's biggest goals. I'm also the author of The Unlucky Sperm Club. You are not a victim of your circumstance, but a product of your choices. I've lived quite the uh, original origin story. So all that stuff is found in my book. You can find me on Nelson Tressler on Facebook and Instagram. Fantastic, fantastic. Now with everyone, I email them, reach out. I go, hey, what are your top 10 movies? You shot me 10. One of the favorites just hit home. I mean, it's right in that late 40s, early 50s demographic of 80s toughness and also just a great cast red dawn what is special to you about red dawn what makes it special you know what i loved yeah i loved one it's kind of uh david and goliath you know you've got these high school kids who uh you know are taking on the soviets and and and, and all of their resources and i love you know i think there's so many people in this life that look towards lack of resources of not being able to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish and i look at this movie and i see a bunch of high school kids who really had no resources but they were very resourceful and they figured out a way to uh, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish uh, there was never any quit in them. And, and I just, you know, I remember watching this movie over and over and over again on HBO as a kid and just loving it and just picking out all those things on why these people never quit. And they had that strong why of what they wanted to do. And I just think there's so many messages in this movie that we can learn from. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and hit play here. Movie on mute. We'll hit play. Now, you know, I want to touch first on your book. The, uh, the Unlucky Sperm Club. So that one, I love the title. But I also, I, I, I love the, the back end of it of, you know, it, it's, it's a, it seems like a, a call of accountability of who you are as a person. What, who are your motivators? Who are the people that raised you that, um, or maybe it was the circumstances that you found that um, 
that ensured accountability with you? Yeah, I mean, just real quickly, I mean, my mom had me when she was 15 years old uh, or became pregnant with me. While she was pregnant with me, her father, the local trash collector in a small town, drove in to the center of town, saw two police officers, stuck a gun out the window and opened fire, killing one of the police officers and wounding another. And eventually my grandfather was captured and brought to stand trial where he was facing the death penalty. And uh, during his trial, my mom testified to the jury that the reason that her father had shot and killed that police officer Mm -hmm. was that that police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant with his baby, who was me. Whoa. Okay. So what is, what kind of weight? I mean, you know, everyone talks about their past, right? And I'm sure you hear a sob story and you're like, "Mm." how do you, in all of that then create empathy? Whoa. And at the same time, um, inspire, you know, you know what, everybody has their own, uh, issues. And I don't look at my issues as being any harder or more difficult than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, 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 you know, I struggle, I struggle with people, you know, again, we talked about resourcefulness. I struggle with people thinking that uh, they are a victim of their circumstances. And that's why I titled the book that we aren't. uh, I mean, we are the product of our choices. And if you want a different life, if you want different circumstances, all you have to do is start making different choices that will lead you there. And and that's what I wanted to get across with this book is you're, you're not a victim of your circumstances. If if you want something different, all you have to do is start making different choices. I totally believe that we are where we choose to be. If you're not where you want to be, you've chose to be there through your actions for the most part. And if you don't like it, all you have to do is start making different choices. You're, uh, you're in a tough world right now, though, right? Because people want to blame circumstances. They want to look at 2020 and say, man, that's why I'm here today. And the guy with the bad spray tan, he fucked me. <laughs> oh, you know, or there's, there's, or Nancy Pelosi did, you know, ev- everyone's got a story on why whatever happened to them happened to them and it wasn't them. This book in 1984 or 86 or 84, yeah, would have been embraced, right? They'd have been like, yeah, look, and because the, the rhetoric of society around it was that. And then there seemed to be a subtle shift of you can't tell people to pull them up by your bootstraps because they might not have bootstraps. And you can't tell people to change their mind because they might know, not know what change looks like. How do, you, how do you navigate those waters when the waters are all seen to be pushing against you? You, you know what? That's a perfect analogy because, you know, we, we, I think a lot of people feel like that they're stuck in this storm. Mm-hmm. They're stuck in this hurricane of what's going on in the world, what's going on in our country, what's going on with the virus. And you know what? That's true. We're all stuck in that storm. But the one thing that we can control is how we set our sail. You know, that we're, we're the captain of our ship. And as soon as we take responsibility for our success, 
that's when we can start to make a difference. But I think uh, in the culture that we're kind of in right now is we, we want to blame and we want to give away that responsibility to other things, other people, other, you know, the government, the country, what's going on. And as soon as we give away that, we, we lose all control of changing it. And that's what this book is about is kind of where I came from and, you know, uh, so many people have told me, Nelson, you had every single reason to fail. And you know what? I, I looked at it totally different. I had every single reason to succeed because there were no expectations for me to live an exceptional life. But I chose to live an exceptional life. I chose to make those choices. And I think anyone who wants an exceptional life can have one. Do you think on the psychology side of things, and I'm, you know, by no means one, uh, but a psychologist, but I'm wondering, because I see it myself sometimes, right? Uh, uh, in full transparency, I'll set a goal and then I'll find that I'm slipping from that goal and I'll let the guilt weigh me down and then I'll transfer that guilt into doing something else so I can ignore that goal, but achieve something easier without... You know, it's, it's, I used to use this analogy a lot when I, when I was running sales for this company. I, I, I told the CEO, I said, you're, you're setting the mark wrong. You can't do this. And he goes, what do you mean, Jay? And we were starting a brand new brewery out of Montana. He goes, we're going to take down Budweiser. And you can't say that. He goes, why not? I go, because you can't tell people, let's go hiking. There's Everest. It doesn't, it, you're going to overwhelm them because they're going to see their brand in one store and they're going to see Budweiser in every store. And at first you might get a 21 year old that'll go, yeah, but we're going to get in every store and they're going to burn out. But the small goal of let's own our backyard, let's own our town. Hey, you know, let's own our county. Hey, let's own our state. Yeah, but it's Montana. What do, yeah, but it's Montana. Who travels? Everyone travels to Montana. I mean, Coors did this. Coors is like, I just want to own Colorado. And all of a sudden it's this west of the Mississippi. And, you know, now we've got Smokey and the Bandit. We've got all these, you know, you've got this drawing inspiration. Is that, is that, is, is the guilt the first part or is it that you, is it a lack of, of small steps instead of taking large steps? Do you think that people yeah. lay themselves through? Yeah. Yeah. In, in the I Got Smarter program, I mean, you hit on a lot of things that, and we've realized why people fail. But the first thing is, I think that guilt comes along where people want perfection. Um, we're not going after perfection. We're going after progress. Mm -hmm. And so many people set a goal and then they have a bad day or they have a bad week and they throw up their hands and they say, screw it. I've, I failed again. I don't even want to try. But if all they have to do is look at the progress? Are they further along than they were? Because we have to have that long-term perspective. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's kind of got that tunnel vision and they're looking in the mirror every single day and they're not seeing the results. We need to look, you know, a month out. Uh, we need to look a year out. And that's one of the things also that I Got Smarter does is we have that long-term vision. I mean, we just, we just crossed New Year's, right? And everybody set their New Year's resolutions. And where am I going to be, you know, January 1st, 2022? And the problem is, is that's a long ways away. And we just went through 2020 and we can realize how much things change in a year. Sure. I, I don't think anybody anticipated that. 
<laughs> part of our program is that we break all of our goals down into what we call 30 day sprints. Okay. Now we have goals that are huge, that are going to take a year, five years, 10 years. But when you break those goals down into uh, a 30 day sprint, then you're looking at that incremental change. You, you can really wrap your, your mind around what you can accomplish in 30 days. And there's that sense of urgency. I think when you have that long, that annual thinking, there's really that urgency is not there. Oh, you know what I have next week, I have next month, you know, and what happens is people end up trying to work on their goals a lot in November and December, or they get to the point where they haven't worked on their goals and they throw their hands up that they failed again for a year. So those 30 day sprints really create that urgency and they create, you know, you're not going to take down Budweiser in, in a year or five years. That doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, I think, I think that ability, but if you say, you know what, just broke it down, maybe we're going to take over this town and everybody's first choice is going to be, you know, our brand and, when that happens, then we can take another step in another month or another quarter. Those small little steps, our brain loves progress. And the more that we can feed it that with these small steps, the more we're going to get addicted to, you know, those endorphins that get released when our brain starts to recognize that our progress towards that bigger goal. Sure. And it is. And then it allows us, in my humble opinion, right, it allows us to to accept failure a little bit more. I mean, what you're talking about is actually a perfect analogy to the movie, right? Because the kids, we, we've been attacked. They're on the run. The U.S. helicopter comes in, bang, 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 bang. And they're like, yeah, we're still going to hide in the mountains real quick. We just don't know what's going on. Little successes, big failures, little successes, failure, success, success. Oh my gosh, can you achieve it? Well, I've already been knocked in the jaw a couple of times. I know what it feels like. I don't like it. So yeah, I'm going to push a little harder, push forward a little bit more. Speaking real quick of, you know, little towns and, and owning them, you know, obviously 2020 was hard on a lot of businesses, a lot of people, um, but you're in Vegas. What are some of your favorite spots? A little small business shout outs. What are some of the places that, uh, that you love to go to that if someone's going to visit Vegas that you're like, hey, you got to try this place out? Can I cheat and use one of my businesses? Absolutely, you can. Come on now. <laughs> so, uh, we own a couple trampoline parks here, family fun centers Ooh. called Flipping Out Extreme. And they have trampolines, rock climbing walls, laser tag, uh, you know, just something fun off the strip that you can kind of get out of the casino. If you have some kids or you're on a bachelor party or a bachelorette party, it's just a fun place to go and, and kind of let loose. So uh, and definitely have been hit really hard with uh, with the uh, virus that's out there. And uh, we are we're surviving. And, and it's a lot like this movie, man, is uh, you just have to find a way to to get through. And and that's what uh, that's what we're doing at that business. But people are coming there trying to forget about, you know, everything that's going on in the world and acting like a kid and just having fun. And it's a it's a great place to do that. For a, for a guy who has bad knees and still tries to play basketball, I love taking my daughter to those trampoline places because it feels like I can jump again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, hey, look, look at that. Look at that 12-inch vertical off that's this right. trampoline, right? Oh man, it's amazing. <laughs> no, that it's true. Uh, the um, and that's that's a tough part of what we're going through, right? Is is that connectivity? Are those fun things? Are it's it's interesting, and, and it boggles my mind that um, 
we've kept the stress, but through this process, we've eliminated the stress relievers for some reason, right? So gyms are closed, places like your business, trampoline parks, are, they're closed. The, the place where you go have fun, right? They're, they're closed, but you know, I can get booze delivered to my door, no problem. All the right. fast food restaurants and the bad health, no problem. Go outside, can't. Stay inside, yes. And, you know, in my mind, and it's, it's not a, I mean, I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, and it's not an indictment on the rule makers or rule breakers. It is a thought process that goes, where do you feel most free? Where does your stress go away? What do you do? And if you're turning to the bottle for stress, maybe, you know, you need to find a different way, right? Maybe you need to go find that trampoline park. Maybe you need to go take that, just a, don't jog, walk outside. Just get a, get a little fresh air, have a little fun. Yeah play a little bit, you know? Uh, I mean, I, as I say that, you know, I've got friends who own breweries, you know, beer companies help sponsor this podcast a lot, giving me beer and all sorts of stuff. And I'm not one against touching the sauce in any way, shape or form, but I am one against it. If you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad day and you crack open a beer, I'm going to have a problem. Have it because you, you enjoy the taste and set it down. But if you're having it to remove an energy out of your body, you think, Sorry, folks, you're, you're not, you're not going to get my vote in any way, you know, and, and I'll do a little shameless plug as well. Uh, my buddy Wing owns uh, Wahoo's Fish Tacos, which I think you guys have some in Vegas. Love them. Yeah. He, uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, all of his initially, especially in California, got shut down and he cooked all that food that he had, every last piece, and he delivered it to frontline workers. And then he created a charity called California Love Drop, CaliforniaLoveDrop.org. And all they do is they get sponsors from different companies. Those companies pay between, you know, 500, 1,000, 5,000 bucks, whatever it is. And then boom, guaranteed meals delivered to frontline workers and those in need. And awesome. it's a cool thing because if you're in that area, right, your company gets to participate. If you're like me and you're out here in Texas, you don't get to participate, but you know, wing, you know, his heart and you get to put, you got to, you got to push that message forward. So, um, you know, I think maybe uh, down the road, hopefully, or something like that, there, um, there, you know, maybe there's an opportunity with um, with some mental health professionals in, in Vegas, right, to, uh, you know, partner with you and your trampoline and be like, hey, here's your escape. There's 10 of you. Here's your rapid test. Go in. You got 30 minutes. Go crazy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In my dream of dreams, in my idealistic world, you know? Um, I wonder, because you're, you're in Vegas, you get to see the extremes of emotion, right? Uh, the, the highs of the winning, the lows of all the losses, the transient nature of it. How does that impact how you write? How does that impact in how you see your app engaging with people differently in, in different parts from whether it's in Vegas or New York or Montana? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's so many people out there looking to live you know, a more fulfilling life, looking to reach their potential. And a lot of a lot of our mindset is they want that quick fix, and they want to come to Vegas, and they want to hit it, hit it big and go back with, uh, you know, all the money that's going to take care of uh, all their problems. And, uh, you know, for every person that that comes here to do that, I see people walking to the airport with their suitcases because they've lost every single cent that they have and they can't even afford a taxi to get them to the airport. Um, so, I mean, I, I think a lot of a lot of people out there want that quick fix. 
that's not the way life works. It's not the way it's supposed to work. I mean, uh, it's about setting a goal. It's about designing the life that you want to live. I mean, as I said here, I, you know, this all kind of started, you know, you've heard a little bit about my origin story. You know, life didn't get any easier for me. My mom, you know, a 15 year old mother, you know, eventually she at 21, she married uh, a man who would become my stepfather, very abusive an alcoholic, you know, uh, pretty much beat me and my mom on a daily basis. She eventually had four more children. And because of the lifestyle they were living, you know, a lot of uh, the needs for my brother and sister fell upon me as the oldest to kind of take care of them. But, you know, I, I see, I see that. And, but the one thing that happened, uh, I set a goal to become the first person in my family to graduate from college. And uh, from that one goal, I didn't even know what a goal was, but from that one goal, um, I became obsessed, you know, and I was able to do that. It wasn't easy. It took me 12 years from the time I set the goal. It took me four different colleges. It took me joining the Air Force for four years to get money to finish school on the GI Bill. And but from that one goal, I realized that if I put my mind to something, uh, I could achieve it. And when I set that goal, I was in special ed. Uh, I have dyslexia, you know, I couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't spell, you know, so it, it wasn't going to be easy for me to, to accomplish it. But those are the things that we can do when we're willing to put in the time and the energy. And one of my favorite quotes is, is, you know, quickly after you become a dreamer, you have to become a doer. And I think that's another thing that's getting lost in our society is we see these internet people who have started something that looks like it's an overnight success. But with most successes, we don't see all the struggles and all the hardships that went into that. And I love reading biographies of successful people because pretty much without exception, every single one of those guys were literally a day or one choice away from complete failure. And because they got through that failure, you know, now we know about them. Now we hear about them. They've changed the landscape of our country and our lives because they were willing to persevere. And that's what I think a lot of people are missing out on is just getting through those hard times, persevering until you achieve your goals. Yeah. I mean, I think they should start, you know, they've got the millionaire clubs and billionaire clubs. I really think they should, they should call them the failure clubs because unless you won the lotto, you know, I mean, my buddy, John Lynch, he runs a company in Southern California. Great guy. I read his biography. Um, you can't build skyscrapers on swampland. He was a pro surfer and then he was a window washer and he was washing these windows of these, you know, five, 10, $20 million homes. He's like, I want this. He's like, well, this guy's like, well, I do mortgages and I do private banking. Okay, I want to get hired. The guy's like, well, <laughs> no, you got to get licensed. He failed the FINRA like five times. Yeah. But he's so bullheaded <laughs> in a positive way. Sixth time he got it. And then he was the top producer at his company. He's like, and they're like, good, you've hit, you know, everyone's like, hey, man, you hit the pinnacle. You're doing great. He goes, no, I want to own my own company now. I'm like, hold on a second. Hey, man. You're doing really good. You're not washing windows anymore. Calm down. He's like, nope, I'm going to open my own company. Opens a company, becomes the largest private home equity company uh, in America. And find success. Find success in fashion. Find success in real estate. Find success in 
opening up bars and restaurants. But it's only because he thinks differently because he was a surfer and a window washer. And then he attacks, so he attacks the problem differently and he doesn't mind failing. Yeah, no, I, I love that story because I washed windows to get myself through college. And, uh, you know, I became, uh, and, and, and it was kind of the same thing. You know, I got an internship out of, uh, out of college uh, in commercial real estate and uh, didn't even really know what commercial real estate was, but I, I knew they did well. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, become the top salesman worldwide for a top five firm. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's possible. And I, and I think a lot of that is, you know, what you're bringing to the table. It sounds like your friend, you know, knew what it was like to struggle and uh, work hard and to achieve a goal. And I think that's what people need to realize is it's going to take work. And if if you come to something and just think that it's going to be simple and easy, that first hurdle that you hit might just throw you off and you quit. And um, so many people give up on their dreams you know, right before they're about to bust through, you know, the, the story that I love is the guy back in, in the 1800s, you know, he, he bought a mine in uh, Colorado and was digging for six months and didn't hit any gold and threw up his hands and said, screw it. I'm headed back to New York to sell shoes. He sells his mine to another guy who comes out. He digs for six feet and hits the largest, you know, strike in Colorado history. That guy who gave up was six feet away. And I think there's so many of us that uh, quit just just too soon before we're going to make that breakthrough or before, you know, something comes of what we've been working towards. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, and I think it's also because of, and I'm blaming a little bit of science on this, right? And I, and I you know, there's, there's just so many cheat codes out there. You think it's a cheat code, right? Uh, take modafinil, take provigil. You'll stay awake longer. Your, your mind works better. Well, your mind only works better if you have the drive to make it want to work better. You're only staying up later and working harder because you want to. It's not like you take the pill and all of a sudden, all those things that you didn't want to do, you can magically do. I don't like writing press releases at all. We just did a commercial for California Love Drop where we got some B-roll. I had to write it. I've never written a commercial. Right, you know, and I'm I'm doing the voice. I'm helping John do the voice of work over Zoom like this because he's in Cali and I'm here. We're working with Wing. Where we've got another person cutting it. We're editing it together. We're putting all this together for a 30 second spot, and the first one was absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. Now John's got a daughter who's starting a music career. He's got multiple businesses, and I'm pestering him about recording a voiceover again and shortening it and speaking slower and giving. And he's just like, dude, what? I, I thought we did this. I'm busy, man. A 15 minute call is a lot of money to me. I'm like, come on, we just got to go, trudge, 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 get it done finally. Finally. And now it's, and then Spectrum Cable saw it. And they're like, we're going to give you 25 extra free spots to air in Southern California, 30 seconds, CNN, CNBC, Fox Business. We're going to do it. It wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. I'd eat crow a lot because I made a lot of mistakes. But there was a passion behind it that wanted, there was no cheat code. There was no easier way for me to edit anything. <laughs> there was nothing right. that was just like, oh yeah, then I just push this button, the computer fixes it. But you know, I, then I see other stuff, you know, I see people and they're like, oh man, I'm having trouble losing weight. Okay, well, what are you eating? What are you, you know, that's my biggest problem. I, 
I love to work out. I love to go for a jog. I love to play basketball. I also love pizza, love beer, tasty, tasty things. And we were talking before the podcast about good chefs and good food. You know, Austin and Vegas have something in common, really good food, really good food. And you go, man, well, what am I going to have? What am I going to do? Am I going to say no to this? Well, yeah, if you want to get that end result, you you need to. Oh, what if I take some peptides? Just a little injection of peptides. Well, that, okay. But if you're still not working or changing your diet, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> it's just, right. but you know, so it's, it's, and it's, it's interesting because that cheat code idea, you know, it's, it starts with the internet and then it just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's started with the you know, like games when we're kids. What's that little secret code in Mario brothers? And I can get to the end and just fight the bad guy. You know, what's right. the cheat code to beat Mike Tyson? But it seems that's evolved into what's the cheat code for my life to get ahead faster and easier without having well, to do it. Well, and we see that in advertising everywhere, right? Like, yeah. you know, everybody wants that instant success. They want, you know, they want that cheat code to success. But the, the problem with success, success is predictable. I mean, it, it doesn't happen by happenstance or, you know, luck for the most part. Success is predictable, just, just like a diet, just like losing weight. It's simple. You eat, you eat less calories than you burn. You'll lose weight. I mean, there's 10 million different programs out there to show you how to lose weight or, or uh, attack it different ways. But when you really look at what it takes to lose weight, eat less calories than you burn and uh, you'll lose weight. It's that simple. And you know what? Success is kind of the same way is you've got to be willing to, you know, you've got to be willing to put in the work before success happens. And you got to know what that, what that, those actions are, know what you, you want, and then be willing to pay for it in advance. And I think there's so many people out there with that mindset that they want that quick fix. I mean, I'm living in a city that was built off of that, right? Like people want to come here and they want to hit it rich and they want to, you know, at one night at the tables to be set up for the rest of their lives. And uh, it, it, the dots don't connect that they don't build these big, beautiful buildings because everybody comes here and wins. They yeah. build them because everybody comes here and leaves without their money. So. Well, sure. It's, um, I want to touch back on on your, your childhood and your bro- your brothers and sisters and, and you know and then coming to where you've come today for the people that are out there um you know i i i was raised in an alcoholic abusive relationship with my with my first stepfather my mom got married a lot she really liked getting married i don't think she liked the divorce part so much but you know she liked to get married um and one of the key factors that I found for me to, to be better, to get better, to do better was the, uh, the Tupac adage of forgiveness. You know, I don't want you to starve, but you can't eat at my table, right? And was there, was there a process as you were going through the armed services, as you're going through college, as you're starting to find pieces of success of how you forgave your past self but also let it go. Cause some people forgive and they hold on to it. And they're like, man, I'm sorry. Come here, cancer. And I, and I'm not, you know, but it's, it's, it's cause it's just, it's this negative energy that they just hold on to while still saying they've forgiven it. Well then let it go. How did you go through that process? Cause the military and college are two different things and they yeah. forge your brain in two different ways and create relationships in two different ways. And then 
success in business when you come from an area that's not successful can create resentment, not only inside yourself, but from the people that see you succeeding. Yeah. How did you, how did you manage that? We, and I write about this in, in my book, the unlucky sperm club, but, but so my, my stepfather, uh, you know, was walking home drunk from a bar one night and there was somebody else who was driving home drunk from that bar. They ended up hitting and killing him. And, uh, you know, so my mom has five children at this time. Uh, she's dropped out of school in the eighth grade. Uh, she's never worked outside the home, really doesn't have any skills to provide for her family. And as hard as her life has been to this point, and it's been brutal, uh, mm-hmm. losing my stepfather and, and that whole situation really left her without any hope. She, she could not figure out how she was going to care for and provide for, you know, five kids. And it was at this time that she decided that she wanted to take her own life. And uh, fortunately, she was not successful. But whenever she, whenever she got out of the hospital, our family got split up because she just determined she couldn't do it on her own. I, I went to go live with my grandmother, the wife of the man who shot and killed the police officer. And then my mom kept my three younger brothers. And then my sister went to go live with my aunt. But we look at all that resentment inside of us. And I talk about this in my book is addition by subtraction. My mom would have never left my stepdad uh, because she couldn't figure out uh, how she would care for her family, no matter how horrible it was. That was the only life that she knew. And she had no other options of how she was going to get through it. But whenever my stepdad was taken out of our lives, that opened up a spot for the man who came after him, who she's been married to for 35 years and is totally opposite from what my first stepdad was. I mean, he treats her like a queen. He would never dream of hitting her. He's a hard worker. She's never, you know, worried about anything. He's raised all of these kids as his own, never had any of his own kids. You know, it's funny. Um, He's about five foot three and my uh, one brother is like six six, and Whoa. he'll introduce him as his son, not his stepson, but as his son. And everyone will look at him and like, dude, your wife's got some explaining to do because, <laughs> you know. But you know, sometimes, you know, as we're seeking things to to change in our lives, we're looking for more. And a lot of times, I think what some of us need are we need some less. You know, we need some things out of our lives to make room for those good things that come. And whether that's a relationship, whether that's a habit, you know, whatever it is, sometimes we need to see what do I need to take out of my life to allow some good things to come into it. And I think that's kind of what I looked at was, you know, I didn't really have that role model that I could look towards and say, that's what I wanted to be like. Uh, But. I realized what I didn't want. And sometimes that's good enough. And I started to make the choices to get as far away from what I didn't want. And uh, and that got me towards kind of where I wanted to be. And then I realized it was kind of like walking through fog. I didn't know where I was going or what I wanted, but every step that I took, you know, more, more of the scenery opened up. And then I started to realize what I did want and what I, what I wanted to go after with my goals. Sure. Do you, uh, did you have kids yourself now? Yeah, I have three boys. Three boys. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Is that, um, you know, I, I, as I think we all have got, 
both not having the, the 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 best lives growing up, right? And we grew up poor, and I knew I didn't know how I was going to be a dad. And I remember when my when my daughter was born, I was terrified. I held her. She came out C-section scheduled. Had the cord around her neck. You know they've got a reviver. My wife's drugged up. She's laying there in the crucifix pose, kind of. Right? They're like, "Hey, you know the doctor's like, tell her everything's fine. Go with the kid." Held my finger from there on. Had no idea how to be a dad. Just knew the kind of dad I didn't want to be. Yeah, that's all I knew. That's the only yeah. thing I knew. And um, and then I I heard one other thing. I heard someone say they said, you know. Your daughter's relationship with you is one of the few relationships in life she didn't have a choice. She wasn't given an opportunity to choose her parents. So you got to ask her how you're doing. And she, and I bring this up on the podcast quite a bit, but I think it's important. And I, I said, hey, how am I doing? She, you know, how's dad these days? You know, you work a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And she goes, but, you know, we get to play. We get to do stuff. She goes, but I don't like it when you raise your voice. I just don't. I'm like, okay. And a couple months later, I asked her how I was doing. She goes, well, you haven't raised your voice. And I, I really like that. And I was just, I was like, man, you're six years old. How are you so self-aware at six? Right. Six years old. But it also it reminded me, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it's a two-way street. It's a relationship. You know, and, and all I tell her all the time is I go, hey, you know why you're in math classes after school? You know why you're doing more reading and writing over the holiday? Well, your friends are out playing because you're going to be better than me. You're going to be better than me in school. You're going to be better than me emotionally. You're going to be better than me. That's my only goal. It's just yeah. one point better than me. <laughs> you're going to be better than me. And, uh, and that's the only way. I mean, otherwise, I don't know how I would be a parent if I wasn't doing, to your point, you know, addition, subtraction, right? I'm just, I'm like, hey, these are just the things I don't want to be. Well, and, and I look at that too, as, um, you know, some people kind of hang their, uh, you know, the, the bad parenting and they want to be a victim of that. Like the reason yeah. that this happens is because of what my parents did. But again, I, I look at it as I didn't have a father figure to screw me up as far as like <laughs> being a bad dad and, and having that resentment and doing that. And you mentioned a goal and that's what I love about goals is, Goals don't just affect the person that's achieving the goals. Goals affect generations. Mm -hmm. And your goal to be a good dad is not only going to affect you and your, your daughter's relationship, it's going to affect her relationship with her children and her spouse. And that's the great thing about goals is that it's generational and it doesn't just affect you. It affects, you know, everybody that follows from that and benefits from you having that goal. And every year I have the goal to become the father of the year and the husband of the year. Now I've never ever received those awards and <laughs> probably never will, but that's always my goal because of the, of the childhood and, and the life that I lived. And uh, I know how important it is, but that doesn't mean that, that I never fail. And, uh, you know, I write about that in, in my book as well, you know, uh, during the last great recession and, you know, I, I owned a couple businesses and, you know, I ended up hiring unknowingly hiring a child molester to run my chain of daycare centers, 
you know, so I was going through a very rough time in my life and, you know, raising three young kids. And I remember coming home and my one son was watching TV and, you know, I'd never, never spanked my kids or anything. Well, I I probably spanked them a little bit, but nothing compared to what I went through as a kid from my stepdad. And uh, I asked him to clean up the, uh, the living room and get ready for dinner. You know, there was just stuff everywhere. And I asked him a couple times and eventually he turns to me and says, dad, what's up your butt? And it, it just something clicked in me. And I went over and just grabbed him and was throwing him up the stairs into his room. And I'm over top of him. I have him cuffed around the shirt collar. And, you know, he's nine years old at this time. And I have him on his bed and this chill goes over to me. And I think, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Like, this is you know, that flashback of what my stepfather was doing to me. And, you know, all my, my other kids are freaking out because this has never happened in our home. And I'm thinking, oh my, you know, and yeah, I take a step back and realize this is not what I want to do with, you know, with my kids. And, and I think that contrast that we have by living in those rough circumstances allows us to know that that's not a route that we want to go down. And we have that contrast. And because of that contrast, we, we might not know exactly what to do, but we absolutely know what we never want to do. And that's what hit me harder than anything of raising my kids was that one sense of weakness where I kind of fell back on what I knew as a, an adult and thinking how uh, a father should you know discipline their kids after talking to them like that. And it just hit me so hard. And, you know, ever since then, you know, I've never had to worry about that again. And I always joke with my other two boys that, you know what, you should thank your brother because because of that one situation, you guys never, ever have to worry about that. He had to go through it, but you guys never did. And uh, I, I think contrast is a huge thing in our lives. And And if you come from a rough childhood, like it sounds like both of us did, because of that contrast, I think we can go forward in life knowing what the alternative is. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, uh, in, in the world of hard left turns, that is this podcast, what, um, what got you in the technology aspect of things and creating an app? I mean, you're, you're served the country, got a college education, you're a top performer, you've got lines of businesses, You've written a book. You've got a family. In the in the in the leftover five minutes that someone's gonna you know <laughs> take a break and see what the Kardashians are up to, you're like, I'll do an app real quick. What led to that? How did that happen? You know what I. <laughs> After I graduated from college and kind of fulfilled that goal, I became obsessed with goals and personal development, and I used it in every area of my life. I graduated from college 20 years ago. I set a goal that I was going to be done with commercial real estate after 20 years, and I was able to do that. And and I was able to exit a few businesses. I built you know one of the largest privately held uh, pet resort chains in the country. Was able to exit that a few years ago, and then I was determining what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Because there was no way that I was just propping my feet up and, and watching sunsets. And I had become known as that goal guy, you know, a guy, guy, I would give talks on it. And, and my friends kind of knew that I was into goals and, and they would come to me and they would want help and I would end up helping them. And, you know, I could talk goals all day long and I'd sit down with them for, you know, 
three, four hours sometimes and go over their goals and how to write a proper goal and how they attack the goals and break them down. And then I would see those guys a couple weeks later and I'd be excited for them. And I'm like, how, how are the goals coming? And they'd kind of look at me and put their eyes down and say, yeah, you know what? I got to get back on those goals. And it was like a kick in the gut. It was like, really? I spent four hours of my time with you and you couldn't last two weeks. And what I determined was these people needed some sort of an accountability partner. And so I became their accountability partner. And eventually uh, I formed a group of, you know, a bunch of guys who wanted to live better, more fulfilling lives. And we were, we rotated to become accountability partners. And as we did this for two or three years, everybody in this group lived better lives and became more successful. And these were successful people. I mean, surgeons and business owners and lawyers. And, and when I really knew I was onto something was when I would bump into one of their wives and their wives would come up to me and say, Nelson, you can never end this group. My husband is a different guy. You know, he, he's thoughtful and he cleans up around the house and he's happy and, and they're, and, they ended up, all the wives of the men in our group ended up starting their own goal group because they saw what the benefits were. But there were all those things that as we were going through this group, like, man, it would be cool if we had an app that did this or did that. And one day I was out on a hike and I just had that epiphany is like, you know what, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life is I want to help people achieve their goals and every, all the places where people failed, I patched those holes with this app. You know, I build in there a morning and an evening ritual. I build in there the most important thing to do. And I build in there real-time communication with a success partner that knows when you're working on your goals and when you've accomplished things and can communicate with you and encourage you to do it. And uh, it has made huge differences you know, not only in, in my life, uh, you know, I, I thought I was pretty good at goals. This app has taken my goal achievement to the next level, but even more profound are people who feel like they've always failed at goals and they've used the, I got smarter app. And all of a sudden they realize that all they have to do is these small little steps. And when they know exactly what needs to be done next, they're able to do it. And eventually they're able to, you know, fulfill these huge goals that have been, you know, eluding them for, you know, years and even decades. Mm-hmm. Who was, who's your accountability person when you're, when you started setting goals, you know, it doesn't seem like you were living in a structure uh, that, that, you know, held accountability for achieving greatness. So how did you find that person or was it more drive first. Yeah, no, it it was absolutely drive. I mean, I had, I didn't have an accountability partner and, and I really never did until I started working with these other people and realizing that that's where they were falling short is because they didn't have somebody else to hold them accountable. And we call them success partners because accountability gets that bad rap of you, you start thinking of that high school football coach screaming in your face, you know, and, and trying to hold you accountable that way. We're, we're success partners. We're there to encourage and help as opposed to, you know, uh, browbeating you because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. I mean, realistically, you're only accountable to yourself. These are your goals. These are your dreams. 
yeah, we're just there as a success partner to help you reach that. But I've always had that, you know, in, in my mind is I've seen that long-term vision. I've seen where I want to end up. I've seen what I want to accomplish in life. And I go after that. And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm looking for progress. And I know that it's going to be a long haul. I mean, I've started more than 10 businesses. And fortunately, I know the ebb and flows of that and the ups and downs and the parts where you think you're going to drastically fail and you just have to keep working and getting through it. And that's exactly where I'm at with this new business. I had no technology. I mean, I, I barely knew how to turn on this call, you know, and, and <laughs> learning all of this stuff. So, you know, it's about surrounding yourself with the people who know that and uh, ha having other people pick up where your weaknesses are and you, you focusing on the things that you do well. And, and I've always been able to do that. Well, God bless you because you're, you're one breath away from a, a men's accountability group and a great app to starting a cult, right? I mean, it's, it's a step of a left or a right. If, if you have influence over influential people, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's amazing the, um, because you don't use accountability, right? But, but, but also because of, of the, um, you know, and I think people use this word probably incorrectly and it has a negative connotation, but you know, the, the manipulation of the mind, right? In a positive way, you're doing it versus, and we see it in documentaries all the time, right? The manipulation of the mind in a negative way that spurs on that drive that people have to want to achieve. You know, do you, do you ever watch these documentaries and just shake your head and go, man, they had the right fuel, they had the right drive, they actually kind of wanted to solve some pretty interesting problems. But a dude started it and really he just wanted to get laid. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, not to be crass, but it's, it's kind of that simple. And, uh, you know, and it, and, it, and it breaks that trust of, of something great like what you're doing in, in some capacity. You know, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a weird world we live in. Yeah, and one of the, one of the great thing, quotes that I love is, things only have the meaning that you're willing to give them. Sure. And, uh, like you know, I've used that throughout my life. And that's, you know, that's one of the things is like, okay, what meaning do I want to give this thing that just happened to me? And if you want to give it a negative meaning, you're going to find a negative meaning. But if you want to say, you know what, this is here to teach me, or I'm going to give this some sort of a good meaning, you know, it's, it's making me stronger and you, you can get creative and work hard at really finding good in everything, I believe. And if you, in your mind, get to give everything meaning that happens to you, why are any of us giving anything that happens to us a bad meaning? We get yeah. to assign that. And that's been one of the key philosophies in my life is I try to find the good in everything. And when you do that, then your life takes on a whole different meaning and it goes in a totally different direction. Sure. I, uh, you know, I, I used to, I was telling some friends that they were very upset about the election when it happened, very upset, you know, and they are just, they were torn apart and they were so angry. And why did this happen? And I said, Oh, name a rule. Name one rule that a president's done in the last 20 years that's directly impacted your life, that's changed the way. I mean, just name it. Go ahead. I'll wait. Do you care this much about your mayor? 
your governor, your city council. The, the, we're a republic full of entrepreneurs, full of strong people who figure out ways to do things differently, yeah. who find the loopholes, who, who, who navigate the system in, in a positive manner that, uh, that, that promotes growth and success and, 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 you know, rising tides, you know, bringing up all boats. Well, you guys, you're giving this person so much power. Why? Yeah. Why, why, why? I don't, I, I never understood it. And I, you know, and I, I, I'm not a political guy, except for the fact that people give them so much power and they don't need to. Well, and, and, and another one of my philosophies is you, you can only control the things that you can control. So, sure. you know, with politics, I voted and, yeah. uh, and, <laughs> and I vote and you know what, that's all I can do. And uh, whatever else happens, happens, but I can absolutely focus on the things that I have control over. And uh, when you start doing that, when you start focusing on the things that you can control, that's when your life changes. But if you're going to look out and woe is me on things that you have no control over, I mean, you're, again, your life is not going to be as fulfilling as if you sit down and you figure out, okay, here's what I can control no matter what happens in politics or happens in our country or happens in your relationships or your health, here are the things that I can control. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Everything else, in my opinion, is insanity. I mean, if you're focusing on things that you cannot change, that that's just nuts to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, I, I learned this philosophy from a, from a friend of mine, a very successful businessman. Have you heard of the 4852? I haven't. Oh, no. I'm going to tell Nelson something new. These are my exciting <laughs> times, Nelson. I got to talk to someone smarter as you and I got one new thing. So he said in business, one of, one of his most frustrating parts, he was running a very successful, I think the first billion dollar valuated company or second here in Austin. And uh, he said one of the most frustrating things is the 4852 versus the 9010. Because everyone will spend time on that 4%. 4852, what's the font? What hue of blue? Hey, you guys, are we making a subtle this or that? What, you know, and they're focused on a 4% swing, which in the grand scheme of things does not change. But the left or right turn, the 90-10, black or white, positive or negative, you're like, yes, no. All right, let's move forward. The biggest decisions you spend the least amount of time on, you don't really contemplate everything going on. And the little decisions because you're so scared of the big decision that you made, you'd rather get stuck in the minutia than tackle the bigger issue. Because it's easy to go, Nelson, come on, we talked about that blue. We talked about it. It's not the right hue. You saw the brand book. We spent, we spent $20,000 on a 4% swing. Yeah. We spent one minute in the boardroom on a 90% swing. It's mind numbing. Yeah. absolutely mind numbing. But I, and, and I love that because I'm such a big picture guy. You know, I, yeah. I, I hate details and, and I surround myself with people for those details. But, you know, I, I absolutely see that in all of my businesses is you get so caught up on those. You're sweating the small things. And I know there's people out there that say you got to sweat the small things. My mind doesn't work that way. And, and, and I absolutely agree with with what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm a big picture guy and I try to surround myself with people that, that keep me up to date on things, you know, catch me, 
if uh, you know, on the little things, because you know, the, the little things can make you look sloppy if you don't catch them, right? You gotta, you gotta have those people around, absolutely. But you've gotta have the courage to break down the big decision and see where it leads today, tomorrow, a year from now, and what's gonna happen, and, you know, for, depending on your business and what's going on and, and, and the value that it can or can't bring, or is it diverting from your goal or, or your ultimate direction of where you wanna go? I mean, I talk to companies all the time, like, they're like, Jason, we need your help. Okay, what do you guys wanna do? Well, no, no, your business. Do you wanna sell? Do you want an IPO? Or do you wanna be a mom and pop for the rest of your life? Uh, I don't know, then I can't help. Right. Well, what do you mean you can't help me? I can't help you. If you don't know if you, what you want to do with your company, then I can't help you because I cannot give you direction when you don't know what direction you want to go in. Now, if you want some coaching on whether you would like to sell or not, you need to go see a psychiatrist, a psychologist first and understand from your mind where your, where your draws are. I mean, it sounds like from you, you love to build. You love to build businesses. You like to find that success. I'm sure you, you have a, 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 a stable of great entrepreneurs that, that you've worked with that have come up with you, that have sprung off their own businesses and done things. And, and you, you've, you know, it's like the, it's, uh, I forget the famous coach, right? But he's got the, the tree of coaches underneath him that are all these great coaches in the NFL that started with him. Yeah. You know, and, and that's cool. And, and I find those people, and I'm like, oh, then you want to sell. And then you find the person that looks and goes, I want to take on the Titan. And I'm like, okay, you want an IPO. You got to have more money. And you're not going to get that unless you play these games. And that's okay. And these are your strategies. That's what you want to do. But it's always interesting that they'll have this great idea. They'll have this fun thought. But the biggest thing, they won't even look at. Yeah. And I'm like, well, then where's your foundation? Let's have a foundation. I mean, you know, this movie... Their foundation is we're going to protect our town. We're going to figure out a way to fight where the Wolverines, which if anyone's ever run into a Wolverine, it'll, it, they back down grizzly bears. Yep. <laughs> they chase cars down the road because they'll rip the tire right off the rim. They're maniacs, but they're maniacs with a vision. How do you, is there a time ever when your wife just tells you, Nelson, slow down? Every day. <laughs> every day i mean and in fact tomorrow is my 25th wedding anniversary nice congratulations yeah and uh every day she's just like and and you know what after 25 years she pretty much has taken a step back and just knows the way that i am and she just supports me and and kind of knows like hey as long as there's money in there for me to uh you know run this house you can do whatever you want. I know you're, you're, you're doing what you feel is best for the family. And she's just that supportive and trusting. And I, I think that's why it kind of works between us. That's awesome. Now, you know, for, for those people out there, 25 years, uh, it's, it's, we're in the Tinder culture, swipe left, swipe right. I like her. I don't coffee. I'm out of here. What's, Talk to people about that commitment because that's a different, I mean, that is the same commitment that you've had to your life and success. And you figured out how to diversify your passions into fueling two things. And, and 25 years is, is no, you got to stop and pump the gas, man. I mean, that is, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and well, you look at that and you think, okay, they've been married 25 years. They got it all figured out. 
read, read my book, The Unlucky Sperm Club, and you'll yeah. see we, we were separated a couple times and uh, it was hard, but we both kind of knew what we wanted. We both knew we wanted a family and, and we loved each other. And, but there were times of struggle and times where we weren't sure we wanted to be married. But as far as, as I see my life is this is the most important thing that I'm ever going to do is the relationship with my wife and with my kids, especially from where I came from. And making that a priority. And, you know, when I'm talking about those trying times, it wasn't a priority. I mean, I was focused on businesses and making money and, you know, because I was doing well, you know, and because of the household I came from, I wanted my wife to be that Stepford wife, you know, Hey, I'm making all this money. I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling my duties. I want you to kind of give me that TV type of family because that's, the only other type of family I could look at and see from the one that I came from. And when I would come home and, you know, I didn't have that seven course meal with my kids all in ties sitting at the table with my wife, you know, all made up waiting for me. Then I thought she was failing or wasn't trying as hard as she could and uh, took that out on her. And what I realized was as soon as I started having those expectations and replace them with appreciation, that's when our relationship changed. And that's when we both really became happy and, and appreciating each other for what we were. That's awesome. It's a, uh, yeah, it's funny. You're, you're, you're talking about that. And I, I remember thinking about that. And the first thing that came to my mind was the facts of life theme song. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. And there you have, you got the facts of life. Yeah. And it was plain and simple. I mean, it wasn't, it just was what it was. Um, you know, it, my wife and I have gone through struggles. Uh, we're coming up on eight years, and uh, but we're always here, you know. At the end of the day, and she she's crazy. She's from Kentucky. She's from a holler in Kentucky. She <laughs> could be screaming at me, telling me Mora, I, I you're, I'm so mad at you. I'm going to the gym. Give me a kiss. I'm yep. like, huh? Give you a kiss goodbye? And she's like, give me a kiss goodbye. I'm like, you just yelled at me. And she's like, yeah. Well, I, you don't know what's gonna happen when I get on the road. Better give me a kiss. Well. <laughs> That, that's what I, I always joke with my wife, you know, that when we were coming up on our 25th, I'm like, you know what, it's been the happiest 18 years of my life. And, uh, you know, I'm like, it flew by, it only feels like it's been five minutes underwater. Yeah. And, uh, you know, marriage is like that. And, and you do take the good, you take the bad and, and, uh, but you got to have that goal. And, and that's why we've made it through as we both have had that goal. My, my number one goal is to be married to her for 50 years. And uh, I'm about halfway there. And there's so many things that go into being able to achieve that goal. But, uh, and, and it's a long ways away, but I'm working on it every single day. That's awesome. What is, um, now to, do you try to, uh, whether it's your wife or other family members, push them to try new things or, or, or just because they're around you. I mean, there seems to be this attitude, right? And I, it started with, I would say with, let's go Joe Montana and Michael Jordan. They had kids, the kids went to college, like these are gonna be the next great stars. And, and no one took into account that maybe the kids didn't wanna play basketball. I mean, Montana's son was a talented football player but he was not gonna be the next Joe Montana. Right. How do you balance your drive and then those personalities, because they're all different in your house. Yeah. Well, I mean, my wife, uh, 
I'm sorry to say, but when she hears the word goal, she kind of goes to a corner, gets in the fetal position and starts sucking her thumb. She's heard it so much in our marriage that she just hears it and she's like, oh, no. And, uh, you know, and, and I've kind of learned with my kids. I mean, I've definitely taught them goals and talked about personal development and things like that. But as far like I was a football player, was fortunate enough to 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 play in college. But my kids are baseball players and that's the one sport that I loathed, but they both are, are good at it and loved it. And, you know, now I, I like it because they've done it, but my one son, you know, he's gotten a scholarship to go play D one baseball. And, wow. you know, so I, I've, I think I've tried to learn or, or kind of teach them more by example we have definitely not been helicopter parents. We've kind of let our kids make mistakes and we've trusted them. And even after they've made a mistake, we've kind of chalked it up to, Hey, they're young and we still trust them. And, uh, and because of that, you know, I, I feel like, uh, we've raised some, some pretty decent, uh, boys and, and we're super proud of them. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, uh, my daughter's no way athletic in any way shape or form she's just not and i try i'm like hey you want to play basketball you're tall she's like no she did uh one karate lesson and she comes to me after the class and she goes dad i I can't go back there i go why not she's like they uh they you they told someone to shut up and you know (laughs) i don't like that kind of language (laughs) i was you know and i'm like and then she'll see she'll come but she likes to when it was allowed she loved to come watch me play basketball cheer me on or if we were losing cheer the other team on because she liked to see me get frustrated uh she's she just but she's just not that way and i you know I had, I had to make a choice right it's like do i force her into athletics you know she doesn't want to ride a bike she's seven doesn't want to ride a bike neighbor kids are riding bikes she doesn't care one of my neighbor dads was like hey are you going to start riding a bike and i'm like she goes no he started to say something i go hey hey she said no Right. She said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it a miserable experience. I'm just not. I mean, I have a bike. I like to ride, you know, 15, 20 miles a day when I can, when I get out and, or run or do something. And I ask her and she's like, I have no desire. Now, some of that, you know, I will push a little bit. If just the physical exertion of just cleansing the mind of just trying something new, but I'm not going to make her play basketball. She doesn't want to as much as I love it, as much as I'd love to see her be successful at it. And I think she would be, you know, uh, you know, my, my wife is super intelligent. She was great, great in college. She's a very smart woman. You know, uh, and she'll talk to us and I go, Hey, remember talking to the dummies down here, right. <laughs> your words down. Like, oh, the hyper- dumb it down a little, dumb it down. Well, you know, Hey, you're not on house. Okay. Right. <laughs> Glad you saved nine lives today, but Still, still living with the knuckleheads, still live with the crudes over here. So ease yeah. it up. That's, that's fine. You should, uh, for the 25th tomorrow, just swing your wife by the tat- tattoo shop, pull out a piece of paper. We're going to get matching goals tattoos, honey. We're just going to put them right here. <laughs> Sweet. That would go over about as well as you think it would. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Nelson, what do you, when, when you look, you know, at the ever-changing landscape in, in, in technology. Do you try to keep up with that? Are you, you know, you see your app as one point and then you're like, oh, 
the next point will be X or are you more content on staying focused with where you're at and making sure that what you're focused on is, is helping people as much as it can? Well, you know what, like uh, the, the first app that I developed was called Six Months to Success. And that required, you had a gold guide who was kind of working with you to help a group of people achieve their goals and they would rotate partners. Mm -hmm. But then right as we were starting to build some momentum with that, uh, COVID hit and we couldn't meet in groups anymore. So for the last, you know, uh, you know, nine months, we've been designing this app, which is, I got smarter is that the program that we used in six months to success, but we've been designing an app that you can do virtually and, and uh, invite a partner virtually. And there weren't those in place meetings, which we feel like there's a lot of benefit there, but we can't do it right now. So just like with any goal, any business, you're going to hit those hurdles and what's going to determine whether or not you're going to be successful is, are you able to pivot? And so we've pivoted with that, but I'm not a technology person. I'm, I'm more of how does this thing function? How is it going to keep people focused and on, you know, on track to hit their goals? And there's always things that we're coming up with that, Hey, this would be cool in that app. And I think we will add those things and try to, uh, continue to add value to the app and to the program that's going to, you know, every little piece that somebody can use to uh, stay the course, you know, will help them. So I think we'll always be um, looking for those things that can help, but I, I don't know anything about technology. So I just get to tell the tech guys, Hey, this, it would be cool if the app could do this and let them loose to kind of accomplish what I want. Nice. Do you, uh, I was thinking about this year, uh, this story of mine, and I, I, I want to ask you, as, and then I think about this as I, as I tell you this story, but um, those funny moments where an opportunity kind of went haywire, but you look back on it and you laugh, maybe at the time you didn't. My, my buddy, he, uh, he got invited to a party and he couldn't make it. So he goes, Jason, I've got my, I'm on the guest list plus two. So now you're on the guest list to grab two friends. I have this old, I have this Mini Cooper, drive up to LA from Orange County when I'm living there. I've got my buddy Janai Kerr in there. He's seven feet tall, first African-American goalie on the uh, water polo team for uh, the US Olympics. Guy can float in the water and throw a water polo ball like 50 miles an hour. He's, he's a specimen of a human being. Yeah. And then we go pick up my buddy Regan, who at the time was working at People Magazine. So we're gonna go, we have no idea what this party is. We get sat down at this big table and I've got Ron White, myself, my buddy Regan, my buddy Janai, Dr. Phil, his wife, and a couple other people. And we're at this table and we're, we're nobodies. Ron White's girlfriend goes up, sings some songs, very, very talented singer. We get, he tells some jokes, you know, uh, Dr. Phil, we say hi to him, he says hi to us. And then he leaves and his wife's having to drink a champagne. And I think it's going to be funny if when she sets her glass down, I just fill it up again. Well, we, I also wanted a little champagne. The guy comes by, I'm like, hey, can we get a bottle of champagne? The guy's like, sir, I'm sorry, no. I go, oh, it was for Dr. Phil's wife, but it's fine. You can tell her no. He goes, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. He brings out a couple bottles. Every time she sets it down, fill it up a little bit. Every time she sets it down, she gets a little loopy. We walk away, we meet a couple actors, actresses, we go outside, we're at the red carpet, we're getting some pictures taken. Dr. Phil comes out, and he's got his wife. 
And Janai is thinking, I mean, he's teaching, he's got this water polo camp that he recently just sold to Nike. This is way before that. He's just starting his water polo camp. He's back from the Olympics. I mean, everything's going good in his life. He's like, I'm going to talk to Dr. Phil. I'm going to get on the Dr. Phil show. I'm going to, Dr. Phil's going to be my Oprah. Here we go. So there he is. He needs my book. And they pull <laughs> this big Land Rover around and she crawls in the back and she hands me her book and she goes, you need to read this and tell me what you think. You're funny. I said, thank you. But how could I possibly tell you I don't have your phone number? She goes, pen. And Dr. Phil holds her hand, puts his arm around me real snug. And in the nicest, meanest way, he goes, thanks for getting my wife drunk, buddy. And kind of shoves me back. And Janai comes up and he's like, Dr. Phil. And he goes, are you with him? And he goes, yeah. He goes, bye. And gets in the car and drives away. And Janai's like, hey, man, these are nice people. Captain jokes over, you know, it's just got to be funny. You know, everything's got to be a little game to you. Everything's got to be ha ha ha. So you can tell a funny story later on. When am I going to meet Dr. Phil again? I go, I don't know. You're, you're a famous Olympian. Call him. <laughs> he's like, no. To this day, you bring up Dr. Phil and he's the nicest, gentlest man in the world. Janai is the sweetest human being in the world. He will give you a cross eye look. Jepson, no. <laughs> Have you ever had one of those engagements where you thought it was going to go one way and it just kind of hit the other way? Well, I'm not, not celebrity wise, but I mean, like with running a business and hiring sure. somebody, I mean, yeah. definitely, like I said, um, I took over a, a chain of daycare centers that I was an investor in the guy embezzled a million dollars from me and my father-in-law and he was go. He was a dentist, but he was going through kidney failure and was going to lose his, you know, ability to practice dentistry. And he had invested most of his money in this business, so we had to take it over. I had no clue how to run a business at this time, and eventually, a year or two into running the business, one of my directors was moving away, and I had to hire a new director. And they wanted me to hire a man to run a daycare center, and it might be illegal. But I'm like, I'm not hiring a man like they just have a target on them. People aren't comfortable with men, you know, being around their kids. But anyhow, they're like this. This guy is the best director I've ever worked with. And he was working for a children's daycare center, a national chain. And I went against my gut and ended up hiring this man because of all the pressure I got from my regional director. Mm -hmm. And uh a year or two later, I get a call from my buddy and I, and this is how my book starts out is uh, the news is outside of one of my daycare centers and a mugshot of my director comes up and says, daycare director arrested on child molestation charges. Oh. And you, 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 you think those people who kind of lose control of their legs and fall to their knees when they see something is a myth. I found out real quickly that it wasn't. And, uh, and anyhow, this was happening during like 2010 and 11 during the great recession and things were bad anyhow, but eventually, you know, um, you know, come to find out it was, uh, on, you know, very unfortunate, but it was, he had molested a few of the family friends and none of the kids at the daycare center. So after a year or so of, uh, struggling with that and and getting over that 
uh, we were able to recover and was able to sell that business. But yeah, there, there's few things that, uh, you know, and I felt that guilt of what did I do? I went against my gut and I hired this guy. And now how many kids were hurt because of me and not only hurt, but damaged for life. And I had this tremendous guilt and, you know, fortunately none of that happened at my daycare center. So, uh, I, I felt a little bit, you know, not, not great about hiring him, but at least I didn't have that guilt that because of me, kids got hurt. So sure. yeah, that, that was pretty, that was a pretty, uh, traumatic, uh, experience. Yeah. I remember, uh, I have a friend who works at 60 minutes and he told me, he goes, 60 minutes is knocking at your door and you didn't call them go out the back. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's back when 60 minutes was, you know, 60 minutes, not saying they've lost their, they've lost a little bit of their luster, but there was a time, man, when if 60 minutes wanted to an investigative report on you, boy, howdy. Yep. You better yep. turn and run on, on lighter news and on more current events. Do you still follow football? You know what? Uh, I just started the, I, I kind of took a break uh, in 2020, but I, I took it until the playoffs. So I just started watching ESPN last night, by the way. So you started watching the Eagles looks like they kind of threw a game as yeah, a competitor, as a player. Does that irk you a little bit? Like I haven't, I mean, I'm almost 50. I haven't competed in a lot. I mean, I, I'm going to go play basketball tonight against some younger kids, younger kids. They're in their twenties and thirties, younger. They can just, they're just faster and stronger and better than me, but it irks me. And I have no business walking in the shadow of the building that those guys play at. You, you know what it, it does? Like, I think you should always do your best to try to win. But what I saw was the Giants guy oh, uh, yeah, who, yeah. who was pitching a fit. He won six games, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and again, I look at the things that I can control. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't control whether or not that coach is going to put forth his best players. Sure. But I could control if I was going to win a few more games. And, Absolutely. uh you know, so I, I think I think again that that Giants coach had that victim mentality, like woe is us because the Eagles didn't play their best, and if they would have, we would have made the playoffs. Well, if they would have won a few more games, they would have made the playoffs. So yeah, that's kind of my mindset. But I think I think you should always do your best. So if they didn't do their best, shame on them. Yep. No, I agree. But I I hundred percent agree that the Giants coach, calm down, son. You're in the NFC East. You won six games pump your brakes, right. you need to look in the mirror and say, hey, what games didn't, it would have been, you know, it would have been fascinating if he would have come out and said, hey, a lot of people want to blame the Eagles for us not being there. I looked over the tape of four games where we lost by less than three points. And I see where I made mistakes. Absolutely. I'm not going to have it happen next year. Now that, that, imagine the locker room, the yeah. inspiration from the, from, from the locker room to the fans, accountability. Just leadership account. It's, it's so weird that in this day and age, no one wants to, to be the person who goes, I made a mistake. No one wants to raise their hand and go, you know what? I messed these two things up. Put it on my shoulders. And instead, they want to do what the Giants coach did. They, 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 want, to, they want to find that, that little piece, that nuance, that, that's a soundbite. His was a very long one, but a soundbite that gets them off the hook that still makes them look good. Yep. What changed in this world where saying I'm wrong makes you look bad? 
Yeah, I, I think the the whole failure thing, I think the look on failure and you would think because of the entrepreneurs and all the people out there trying and failing, but we, we don't celebrate failure. I don't think any of us like failure, but I also think that, you know, you can fail your way to success as long as you don't quit. And uh, that's, that's what I look at is I don't, you know, my kids, I had this conversation with my, with my son over the weekend and he was talking about how he had failed at something and he's with his friends. And I'm like, did it, did I get upset with you over that? And he's like, no. And I'm like, <laughs> did I get upset with you anytime that you failed? And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, and I never will. Like, if you're not failing, in my opinion, you're not trying. And we were talking about skiing and snowboarding. And he was talking about days that he had never fallen. And, and I'm like, well, in my opinion, you didn't try hard enough because if you were trying hard enough, you would have fallen a few times on the slope. And I think we have to encourage people to push themselves to where they're going to fail, you know, not catastrophically, of course, but you, you got to be pushing yourself where you're going to fail a little bit. And believe me, this business that I'm doing right now with, I got smarter and writing a book, I've tasted, you know, failure a lot more than I want to, but I haven't quit. You know, I keep pushing and, and learning. It's uh, it's interesting. Your son talks about failure. He's a baseball player. I don't know a sport where you fail more than baseball. That that kid is a perfectionist. I mean, <laughs> he is, he's one of those kids that he has that perfectionist mindset. You know, he's a straight A student and, you know, everything that comes to him kind of easily. Uh, but if he's not, he's, and I'm trying to work on this with him, but he has that fixed mindset. He thinks he's as good as he's ever going to be. And I have another son who has the growth mindset and he's always out there working to try to get better. And it's totally different mindsets and you got to kind of parent each one of them differently. But I'm trying to teach my one son who has that fixed mindset is, Hey, you're not as good as you're going to be. And you got to realize that. Uh, And it's a struggle. You, uh, you live, we talked about, you live in Vegas. You live in one of the hotbeds of what has been the what have been probably the biggest news stories of our lifetimes if it wasn't for 2020 and everything else happening ufos are in the mainstream news real people are talking about ufos in the new york times nelson do you believe in ufos i haven't seen any of that stuff um (laughs) so you've got you've got the off the coast of California of the Tic Tac, which was they were up at 9,000 feet, two F-16s or F-35s pacing it. It Uh dropped down to nine feet above the water in less than a second and then disappeared. Uh, A a Pentagon official came out and said, yes, we do have crafts of unknown origin. Um, Yeah. All of this is news to me. Uh, you're, You're busy working and solving problems and setting goals, doing important stuff. I try not to watch the news. I mean, that, you know, but uh, I, I don't know. You know what? I've, I've never been into conspiracy things like that, uh, mm-hmm. like Bigfoot. I, I was scrolling the channels the other day and saw that there was a, a show basically about saying that there is a Bigfoot out there and things oh, yeah. like that. I've never gotten caught up into that. Is there a Bigfoot or are there UFOs? I mean, 
I wouldn't say absolutely not, but I just haven't really researched it that much. I mean, you've got the the planes going to Area 51 right out of the right out of your uh, right out of your airport there. The the white with the red stripe. I remember. Oh yeah, I, I know a lot of people that work out there. So yeah. Oh nice. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's yeah, I think it's more fast. I think the you know the American psyche, right? It's way more fascinating that they work out there. I don't think anyone wants to know the boring job that they do out there. The fact that they've got to get on a plane to go out there to do their job, right? That the security measures and everything else, the the minutia, if you will, of, of just trying to get to work. It's got to be a pain well, in the butt. All, all my buddies love the, the line, literally, if I told you what I did, I'd have to kill you. And uh, they, <laughs> they like to say that and really mean it. So uh, I, I don't, I, I quit asking. I like it. I like that. <laughs> They, uh, it's, no, it's, 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 uh, the reason I asked the question is because it's, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it, it, it gives a pulse on, um, on where people kind of spend their time. So then it lets me ask the question, what is your, your release valve? What is your, your goof off moment? Do you have a, a thing that you do that you kind of, you're embarrassed to say, like Tim Kennedy told me, he goes, I watched The Bachelor. I mean, you're Captain America. I mean, my God, you right. are. You're the, and you're like, you watch some cheesy reality stuff. It's like, yeah, or no, it's campaigns, right? Campaigns. But it's like, well, I watched, I watched The Bachelor and The Bachelor, never missed an episode. Like, you run a marathon every day. How do you have time? He goes, oh, you make time for The Bachelor. Right. Right. Do you have one of those guilty pleasures? Do you have that thing? You know what? I, I like TV, but my problem is, is, uh, I watch about 15 minutes of it before I'm asleep. Okay. So I never really get into it, but uh, yeah, me and my wife, I, you know what I love uh, and I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to think of it. Oh, black, <laughs> the blacklist oh, is yeah. one of my favorites. And uh, I also like Navy seals. So I try to watch those two series um, uh, any chance that they're on, you know, the new ones. I, uh, I just re- uh, finished the Jack Carr book, Savage Son, former Navy seal. Fantastic okay. book. Cannot, yeah. cannot recommend enough. What an excellent writer. I mean, and, and those, those are my guilty pleasures. Like I, I will, my wife's like, oh, you're always watching TV. And my brain is just, I have ADHD. I'm like, it's going a mile a minute. I've got 9,000 things. And so I put it on in the background a lot just to distract that distractible part of my brain. Right. And I'm not really watching it. She's like, oh, we should watch this movie. I'm like, I had it on the background. I kind of know what happened. She's right. like, well, I didn't. So play. <laughs> and right. then I'm on my phone, texting, setting something up, figuring out an idea, you know, and she's like, do the idea stop? I'm like, nope. And if an idea is stuck in my head, I don't know about you. I don't sleep. Yeah. I don't sleep well. I've had this idea in my head for probably two weeks. Reached out a little bit, got to figure out different ways to reach out, went through official channels. But I, you know, I talked about the California love drop. My buddy, Sean, in um, San Diego, great barbecue spot called Cali Barbecue. He is, uh, his grandfather raised him, didn't know his father ever. Bulgarian grandfather raised him, had a, uh, had a uh, Japanese grandmother. So he had this, this method of two worlds, right? This very precise, everything's perfect kind of meal from, for, you know, seven course meal from, from grandma. Here's your Japanese, here it is, boom, 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 light, laid out. And then you got the Bulgarian, here's the pot get it like you know here it is and and the difference of coming to the table and what food meant to him and what service meant to him and his friends were out playing and he's doing dishes at his grandfather's restaurant 
He's like, they're playing baseball. He's like, good. You're playing, you're playing dishwasher. <laughs> right. right. But I was, you know, and then I, and then I saw this report, Guy Fieri has raised 20, $30 million for out of work, uh, uh, food workers throughout the nation. And I was like, man, I'd like to bring Wahoos, Guy and Sean together and do like this fusion collaboration for a big hospital in Southern California. And Sean and Wing are just like, yeah. I'm like, all right, they're like, figure out how to get a hold of Guy. And I'm like, okay. But it keeps noodling in my head. It yeah. keeps just spinning in my brain. And I was telling a friend and I said, I'm gonna talk to, I'm gonna talk to Nelson about this in the podcast, just because, just to talk about it, just to just have it out there in the world. And he goes, someone might take your idea. Like, it's not mine. See, and I bring this up because of this too, because and this is also why people are afraid to talk about what they want to do thinking someone's going to take it from them. Who, what it's, first of all, I'm thinking about a charity and giving and helping people. If someone wants to run with it and they know guy, do it. Right. I don't want the credit. I want to see it get done. One, one thing I've found with ideas, and there's so many people like that, they're afraid somebody's going to steal their ideas. 99% of people don't move forward with their own ideas, yeah. let alone if they hear your idea. It, there's so much, you know, ideas in my, in my opinion are a dime a dozen. It's the people who actually take action to make those ideas come to fruition that are going to do it. And they're, they're so few and far between you don't have to worry about sharing that idea because chances are anybody who hears it is not going to be willing to put in that work or that effort, especially if it's not their idea and their passion. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's your point. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Who follows through? Who's got the action? Who, yep. who's going to go from, I mean, we, my buddy and I, we talked to a, a, one of the major telecom companies, cell phone company. We had this concept, pitched it to him. Lower level person really liked it. Introduced us to the CMO. Here's the CMO. Here you go. Pitch him. We did. Never heard back. Call me back in a week. Call me back in a week. Call me back in a week. Well, they tried to do kind of a shitty version of it. Mm -hmm. My buddy's upset. Well, okay. It's going to fail. Well, Jay, no, no, it's going to fail. He goes, your ego's so big. I go, it's not that my ego's big. It's that they don't see it the way I see it. They're seeing it from corporate America. I'm seeing it from what, you know, and I'll use my buddy, John, again, it's my favorite quote that he says, he goes, it's not about customer loyalty. It's about my loyalty to customers. They were creating something based on customer loyalty. I was creating something based on them being loyal to their customers. They love the idea of loyalty they just didn't like the direction it went. And that's a right. cultural thing. That's, a, that's an inside thing. You can't yep. change that, right? You just can't. I mean, we had this, we wanted to do this thing and if COVID hit and, uh, you know, and everyone's like, it's too much money anyways. And too bad you can't rally small businesses. But we were, um, one of my favorite things about stand-up comics is how close they get, no matter how big they are. Chris Rock will still go, well, when you could, he would still be at the comedy store with a hundred people five feet away from him, Chris rock. Now who's as big as Chris rock, you know, or a Kevin Hart, right? You've got people that, that have that size that are musicians who don't do that at all. 
right? They're just not there. And years prior, uh, I'd got introduced to Ludacris and I talked him into doing a show at a bar with 150 people. And he told me no. And they finally said yes. And then we got to the bar and he's like, no, I don't know. And I go, don't worry. The bar thinks your DJ who opens up for you is the big surprise anyways. And he goes, what? And we're in this dark hallway and he turns his head around. It's a little corner, a little tiny corner. And he goes, hold on. And I hand him the mic. I turn it on and go, it's hot. And he does this move, bitch, get out the way. And the only voice he can do it. And the place is like, oh, the DJ didn't. The DJ didn't add that. And he popped out on stage. And the place exploded. I mean, it exploded. He gets off after five songs. He goes, take me to another bar. I want to do this again. That's awesome. And the intimacy. So we yeah. wanted to do, you know, and, 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 I, and it's one of those things where, you know, it, it hurts. COVID hurts this, obviously. And we've got to figure out ways around it and technology. And you're figuring out solutions around it as well. But it, it, I kind of bring this back full circle to what you were saying earlier, which is that that person that's with you, that person that asks you how things are going, that, 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 that person that walks side by side with you, sometimes a little bit in front of you, sometimes behind you. So in case you fall, they can catch you a little bit and make sure you don't bonk your head. You know, it's um, the people around you are, are important, obviously. Is there a word of advice, whether it's the crowd a small crowd versus the stadium, or it's the couple of people, how do you choose the right person to be around you? Is it a gut thing to you? Or is there a point where you go, hey, you got to get out of your comfort zone? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you always hear that statement that you're, you're kind of the sum of the five people that you hang around with. Mm -hmm. And the people that I hang around with energize me. Um, and if I feel energized and I feel like I want to be around those people, those are the people that I want to be around. And then if there's those people, like your wife tells you, Hey, we're going out to dinner with these guys and you dread it. Don't be around those people. I mean, yep. uh, life's too short. Um, you gotta be around people who are going, going to energize you and to help you become the best version of yourself. Yeah, I think it's, I, I couldn't agree more. I've, I've stopped doing that. I don't go to those dinners. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I just it's, don't. it's not she, worth it. It's not. She's like, babe, it's two hours. No, okay. Yep. I yeah, don't. It's, it's just, it's not worth it. You know, time, uh, time's the one thing we don't get back, right? Uh, that's one of our philosophies is time's your most precious resource. There's not one thing that you can do to ever get a second back. So use every second, uh, you know, to, to your benefit. That's why I, I, I always close this podcast with that. I always tell people, I'm like, hey, man, go get an avocado. The precocious little jerk. Not ready, not ready. Ah, you missed the window. But you get you got to buy a new one. Use the skin, make some coffee with it. Have some fun. Bananas, same thing. Apples. But time, you're not going to get new time at any, in, in any way, shape, or form. Nope. And the fact that we get to do these long-form conversations, you know, and, and get these insights from, from experts like you. I mean, I got people from all over the world listening to this randomly enough. And it always blows my mind. It always blows my mind because three years ago, I'd never had a podcast. I'd done a couple of things, but I wasn't, I mean, no one knew me. My friends knew me, right? Your friend, your friend, my friends knew me. Right. And you're like, wait, you're going to start a podcast. And you're going to ask people to talk to you for about two hours. 
I'm like, yep. And they're like, nope. Nope. No, no, no. And I'm like, that's, I mean, the, there was a famous person who wanted to come on the show. I will not name his name. He's a very nice guy. And, but he only wanted to come on for 20 minutes. That's all the time he had was 20 minutes. Right. I said, no. He goes, well, let's do an IG story together. We'll just do a quick little taping we'll do, and I'll just promote you. I was like, no. He goes, I have 800,000 followers on Instagram. This is only going to help your numbers. No. Because it's not what I want. I want you. I, I, I want to be able to see you. My, my wife's on a Zoom call teaching some doctors something about something. I'm in my bedroom for crying out loud, right? I mean, you know, you're, you've got a beautiful office background. You've got the, the great brick. You've got the nice mic set up. You're, you're, you're professional. You're, you're dialed in. But I stayed the, That's all because I've surrounded myself with that type of guy. I came home, I came back to the office after a weekend and he had built out this entire room. So that's um, awesome. Well, congrats to that guy. Yeah. That was beautiful. I usually have my nice office and, you know, my wife and I share it and she's like, doctors podcast. <laughs> I get you, babe. She goes, you don't use the video. I'm like, I don't because it's just, you know, I've, uh, I, I like the audio, uh, just the audio part of it, but it's, it, it blows my mind. I mean, it, it does that that people do that when you um now you're saying something you go and speak sometimes where uh where, where are some of your favorite spots that you've uh, you've spoken at where you've got to share your story and yeah you know just as we were building the six months to success you know just talking to professional salesmen you know anybody that could use goals in their lives i mean i've spoken at you know churches those type of things. I just got asked to speak uh, to some children because of, uh, because of uh, my upbringing to help them. But, you know, I, I want to speak where there's somebody that I can influence to, to have a better life. I mean, our mission at uh, I Got Smarter is to change the world one person and one goal at a time. And the way that we're doing that is by changing that person's world. And again, it comes to what what you can control and that person can control their own world. And by this program, helping them to live a better, more fulfilling life, that's going to change their world, which will change the entire world for all of us. I mean, I, I love it. There's, I, I definitely, um, there's a person I wonder, there's two people I really want to introduce you to that are very goal oriented, like, uh, like, like yourself, um, that I think you'd have a great conversation with. And one guy does sunrise gratitude for the last like 390 days. This cat's getting up at 4 a.m. Walking the hills of California, <laughs> waiting for the sun to come up so we can take a picture. So I'm up at five. So at six, I text him and he's like, morning. I'm just about to get on my walk. How's your day going? I'm like every morning. He takes yeah. a picture, shoots a little video. One to hold himself, true but two, to hopefully inspire someone to do the same thing, to, to, to get the same motivation uh, out of life and, uh, and really pursue and drive things forward. But he's, um, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's fascinating that through everything you've gone through, you you've figured out a way to not just tap into you. Yeah, well- Figured out a way to it, tap into other people. 
You know what? I see there's so many people out there that are just a few choices away from living a better, more fulfilling life. And I also look at me as I'm only a few choices away from, uh, you know, living a less fortunate life. And, you know, I don't give fear much factor in my life. I mean, fear only exists in our minds. But the one thing that scares the death out of me is if I didn't move forward with that one goal, that I would have forfeited this life that I'm living today. And that scares the death out of me because I wouldn't even know what I'm missing out on. And I think there's so many people out there who are missing out on living that more fulfilling, more rewarding life um, that they could be living. Uh, if they just would, you know, set a few goals and be able to accomplish those goals, which will lead to other goals. And all of a sudden they're drastically, you know, living a different life than they're living now. Um, and it's, and it's possible. And I, I look at people, the only thing different from me and the guy on the corner holding a sign, you know, hoping that somebody gives him money, uh, is a few different choices. And I just feel so bad for people who are living and not reaching their potential because I know it's possible from, from where I came from, uh, to where, to, to the life I'm living today. It's just, it's just different choices. And that's what I want to take to the world. And that's what I want to give to people so that they realize that, hey, with the right tools, the right knowledge and the right support, they can be living the life of their dreams as well. I love it. I love it. It's, um, it's very indicative of the movie in the way that once again, you know, these kids didn't ask for Russia to come attack. They didn't ask for the big bad guy. Uh, they didn't ask to go defend a town. They, uh, they didn't ask to, to be challenged in the ways they were, but they also, similar to yourself, right? They didn't say, well, it was me. They just fought harder. They, yeah. they got knocked down. They got back up. They fought a little harder. Yeah, they cried. Yeah, they took a moment. Yeah, they took a breath. But then they went after it. And, they, and you know, success, failure, success, failure. It, it, it all happens. It's... Um, it's needed now more than ever. I think, you know, uh, heard people say, you know, hard time or hard times make hard men, hard men create easy times. And unfortunately those easy times can sometimes create soft men. And so we need hard times to remind ourselves that we too can be hard. Yeah. One, one of my favorite quotes is never be embarrassed of a scar. It just lets you know that you were stronger than what tried to hurt you or kill you. And that was one of the things that kind of pushed me to write this book is I, I never wanted to kind of relate any of those issues before because it weakened me. And when I joined the Air Force, I never moved back to that small town because of all the struggles that, you know, I represented and my family represented back there. But for the first time when I wanted to kind of start this new business and I thought, why did I live a life like that? And it, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, I lived that life and, and I made it out the other end so far uh, so that I could inspire other people. And then I started to get strength from those things that happened to me because I knew I'd survived them. And I knew that my story would inspire others to take control of their lives and, and realize that they could survive it as well. Do you think, do you believe that uh, the military um, already having a, you know, did it, did it harden? the uh 
the manifestation of goals for you as far as discipline? Yeah. You know what? I had none of that growing up. You just kind of did what you wanted to do. And the military was, you know, definitely that kind of that first step to kind of get me there and realize that, you know what, you have to do what you say you're going to do. You have to be responsible. People are depending upon you. So, yeah, I mean, I learned so many lessons uh, in the military that have kind of came with me out of the military and, and helped me in, in, in my life since then. In our, in our closing moments here, I got to ask you, um, you know, what, when, when it all said and done, when we're reading about Nelson Tressler in 51 years, got to give you your 50 years of marriage, 51 years. When it's all, if it's all said and done in 51 years after, after, after 50 years of marriage, what do you want to be remembered for? You know what? I, I want to be remembered that, uh, you know, I, I helped other people fulfill their dreams. I, I think it's, we all come down to that legacy. And that was what I was thinking about whenever I was thinking of what the next chapter of my life was going to be. And, you know, I, and, and I feel like the things that I have done to that point, you know, I helped people buy real estate and I helped people, you know, uh, have good times at trampoline parks and those sorts of things. But whenever I take a step back, I want people to kind of look at me as like, hey, when I read Nelson's book, it inspired me to look for my own potential and look you know, helped inspire me to take action with my own life or it helped, you know, I got, I got a email back from a guy who said, you know what, your book made me realize how fortunate I am to have the wife that I have. And I'm treating her better now because of your book. So things like that are, those are the things I want to be remembered for and raising some awesome young men. And I always tell them that they are my greatest accomplishment. When I'm, when I'm dead and gone off of this planet, I'm going to live through them. And I want people to kind of look at them and know me because of the type of men that they turned out to be. That's awesome. That is, uh, that's, that's fantastic. You know, and uh, I don't think there's a, there's a better tribute out there, you know, that, that any father, you know, would want them to, uh, have a have a stronger better legacy live through 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 their children that's for sure last question if you don't mind yeah all right you talk a lot you've uh, done a lot of interviews you've written a book you've got a successful app you got a lot of companies still you found time to chat with me outside of my atrociously long-winded questions and rants <laughs> nelson what can i do to be better because i want to yeah. be better you know what? I, I think you have to see the potential that lives inside of you. And once you see that potential, once your mind can really understand what greatness is inside of you, you'll never be the same. And I think, you know, I was beat down so bad as a youth and, you know, everybody kind of figured I was going to end up in jail or, you know, live this horrible life. But once I realized the potential that was inside of me, I was never the same because I knew there was greatness in me. And all I had to do was be willing to put forth that effort. You've got to see what greatness is inside of you and then never settle for anything less than that. Uh, you'll never be the same. And we all have that greatness in us. 
We just have to be willing to go after it. Uh, and uh, again, never settle for anything less than your best. Wow. Thank you. Thank you again for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, you'll get an email from me. This podcast is actually going to go out on your wedding anniversary tomorrow. Uh, awesome. The following day, you'll get an email from me. It'll tell you the, the countries and the cities where it's most popular. So you can see some randomness in, in this crazy world that is talking during movies. Uh, and then also, if you don't mind, I'm going to introduce you to a couple other uh, bigger media people than me that have a much larger footprint that have slummed it over here and talking during movies and, uh, and uh, love, um, love inspiring uh, authors and entrepreneurs like yourself, if you don't mind. Thank you so much, man. What a great conversation. That was fun. Thanks, Nelson. I really appreciate it. You have a wonderful day. Most importantly, happy anniversary to, to you yeah. and your wife, 25 years to, to 25 more years. If you don't mind, please, let's stay in touch. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you very right. much, sir. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Ha, ha.